Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa. This is going to be another great interview podcast with a special, special guest. Today, I have Michelle Siler Tucker with us. She is arguably one of the best M&A consultants in the space. She's been around for a long time. She's the CEO of Siler Tucker Incorporated. She sold well over 500 businesses. She's got multiple titles, a certified business analyst. She's a multi-best-selling author with another book to come called Exit Rich. I'm very excited to read about it. But today we're really going to talk about what's happening within the financial services industry as a whole. And Michelle can talk about her experience within that space and outside the space. But as my audience, and if you're a financial advisor and you're thinking about going into private practice and opening your business, there are some things that we talk about that you need to be thinking about ahead of time. And those are the mistakes that you might be making because you've never done this before, the old adage that you don't know what you don't know. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And so I've asked Michelle to come on and she's done well over 200 podcasts. I'm really honored to have her on here today to talk about this space and really the biggest mistakes that business owners make essentially starting their businesses and growing their businesses from the ground up. So Michelle, welcome to our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Maybe just give my audience a little bit of a background of where you came from and who you are and what drives you every day. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me on. So I'm from Long Beach, California, but I live in New Orleans. And what drives me? Entrepreneurship drives me. I love entrepreneurship. Even as a little girl, I always told my mom, I'm going to own my own business. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, mom. (laughs) So I think one of the main drivers that I wanted to be an entrepreneur is because I hate being told what to do, even though our clients tell us what to do. And so I've owned many different businesses along the way. I did get stuck in corporate America. Xerox actually recruited me and I was their high volume manager. And then within six months, they promoted me to regional vice president where I was overseeing a hundred salespeople. And I realized really quickly that I didn't like management at a fortune 500 company because you can't get anything done. So I ended up leaving Xerox and transitioning into franchise sales development consulting and had equity partnerships. And I had so many buyers that kept asking me for existing businesses. I had businesses that kept coming to me, asking me to help them buy businesses to roll them up in their current business. And I kept saying, no, that's not what we do. We work with franchises. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I need to open up an M&A firm. And that's really how I got started in mergers and acquisitions a little over 20 years ago and over 500 businesses personally for myself. Of course, my team has sold more than that. Wow, that's crazy. Then I learned that if I don't transition and start fixing these businesses, growing these businesses, put them on a build to sell model, then I'm going to end up starving to death. And so will my clients so I end up going out of business. So we really specialize in not just selling, we specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing, and really putting our clients on a road to sell. Because like Steve Forbes says, 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. I mean, that's a pretty startling statistic. If you're a business owner, you should be thinking that, gosh, you have less than a 20% chance of actually selling your company. Yeah, I think that 
one of the mistakes, and I can speak from personal experience. So I've had my company for about 10 years now, and I was running in a certain way. And then I had my business valued for a partner that was coming on board. And it was interesting because I went into the process reluctantly. I'm never going to sell. It's my company, my baby. I don't need to have this thing valued. What's the matter? It's like I argue with my wife about the value of our house. I'm like, I'm never selling it. I don't care what it's worth. But I got my business valued and I was pleasantly surprised about the valuation of it. But it changed my mindset in terms of, wow. So these are the factors that detract from the value. These are the factors that added to the value. So not that I'm selling tomorrow, but maybe I should start thinking about building my company around those pieces to create a higher valuation. And that's sort of like almost by sure, I'll say luck, I maybe avoided some things that I shouldn't have done. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you about some of the mistakes that you've seen over the years, because I think people don't quite understand. And you may start jokingly about it, like you don't want to answer anybody. But at the end of the day, even as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and as you grow and you have employees and you have all sorts of stuff, you end up answering to everybody. And so, but I think that there's some big things out there that advisors and business owners and entrepreneurs need to be thinking about. This is the working on the business. We spend most of our time working in the business, but now you have to take your hat off and you have to work on the business. So your first book was sell your business for more than it's worth. Ultimately, as business owners, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build value for ourselves, for our families, and for those people that are part of the organization that help us get there. So from your point of view, maybe just start talking about like the biggest things that you would say business owners should try to avoid as early as possible. Well, I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head a minute ago when you said that you were thinking about your business as your baby. You have no intention on selling your business. And that's the biggest issue with most business owners is their mindset. And the mindset really has to transition into thinking about your business as your baby. Your business is not your baby. <laughs> your babies are at home. Go home, love them, hug them, kiss them. Your business should be your most valuable asset. It's kind of like your portfolio. If you got a financial advisor, you have a portfolio. Are you grabbing that portfolio and saying, this is my baby, this is my baby, I'm never going to sell? Of course not. You're telling your advisor, sell high, buy low. Do whatever you need to do because this is an asset. Your business is an asset. And business owners got to stop working in their business, start working on it and start building it to sell. Again, 80% of businesses don't sell. The number one reason for that is because business owners don't think about selling their business. They don't plan their exit strategy until a catastrophic event occurs, rather internal or external. Internal could be health issues, partners dispute, divorce, death. External is this pandemic we've been in for last year and a half. The worst time to ever sell your business is when you're in the middle of a pandemic, when you're facing a crisis because your business is trending downward and not doing well. You will never be able to maximize value that way. I had a lady call me from Texas not that long ago, and her husband dropped dead of a heart attack, left her with a mountain of debt. And she asked me if I could sell his business that he'd been operating for the last 20 years, 15 to 20 years. She knew nothing about the business, nothing about the finances. He had no employees, had all 1099s, no processes. He certainly wasn't operating on all six cylinders, all six Bs, and all the data was in his head. He had a glorified job that he went to work at every day versus a business that worked for him. He didn't have anything to sell. So 
business owners really have to go back. Like I said, change your mindset. Think of your business as your most valuable asset and build it as if you're going to sell it one day because you will build a much more profitable, sustainable business that you can scale and will actually have a sellable asset. So in my book, Exit Rich, I walk business owners through what I call the GPS exit model. GPS exit model. I'm taking notes because I'm learning. I'm doing a podcast and I'm getting business coaching at the same time. I'm not looking at my like notes to talk to you. I'm writing down notes about what you're teaching me. And all for free. All for free. I'll take it when I can get it. So the ST, I call it the ST, Seller Talker, the ST GPS exit model. Let's walk through it real quick. When you want to drive somewhere, where do you live? In Morristown, New Jersey. All right, Jersey. I love Jersey. So when you want to drive somewhere in Jersey, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, you plug in your? Plug in the address, your destination. Your destination. What happens if you don't have a destination? If you don't plug in a destination, what happens? You wander around like my wife when she's driving. You wander around. Business owners don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Business owners don't have a destination. So they drive around in circles. They drive up and down the financial hills. They typically end up exiting poor, selling for pennies on a dollar, closing a door, even following bankruptcy. So you got to figure out your destination. And that means pick a number, pick a sales price. And Frank, everybody gets hung up on a number. It's just a number. You can tweak it along the way. Let's say you want to sell your business for $20 million. Boom. Now we got a number. The next step in a GPS exit model is where are you starting from? What is your current location? In other words, what is your current evaluation? What is your business worth today? Now, you mentioned earlier that you had your business value. I will tell you, you're not normal then because most business owners never, ever get a business evaluation until they think about selling during a catastrophic event. And their idea of evaluation will come to me and say, Michelle, because I always ask them, what do you want for your business? (laughs) I'll get crazy answers. Oh, I want $5 million. And Ariba does a half a million dollars. You're not going to get $5 million. How did you come up with $5 million? Oh, well, all the sweat equity I put into it and all the time and years I've poured into my business. And $5 million is what I need to retire on. Buyers don't care about that. Buyers do not care about what you need. Buyers care about what the value is going to bring them. So you got to know what your business is worth. We go to the doctor once a year to get an annual checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. We drive our car to the mechanic to get an annual tune-up, but we don't take our most valuable asset and get an annual valuation checkup. That's financial suicide. I can tell you, I never thought about this until maybe six months after I did it. I have this thing, I think about what you're thinking about. And I got that from a friend of mine, Ed Milet, And I started realizing, wow, Ever since I got that valuation, my mindset has changed in terms of growth and what I'm doing and the things that I'm willing to do for the company and things I'm not willing to do for the company. How does it fit into that valuation model? So you got to get an annual valuation checkup because there are events that increase valuation, there are events to decrease valuation. This pandemic is a perfect example of that. So let's say you want to sell for 20 million, but currently we're 5 million. The next thing you need to know in a GPS exit model is time frame. When do you want to do this? Let's say you want to do this in 10 years. Then the next thing you need to know, Frank, is who are your buyers going to be? Notice I say buyers, not buyer. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have the buyer. I just need you to represent me with this one buyer. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't do it. And the reason I won't do it is because I have to come in and I have to analyze your business. I got to make sure you're operating all six cylinders, which you're probably not. 
<laughs> so I'm going to have to help fix your business. I'm going to have to probably clean your financial house because it's probably a disaster. We have to do the evaluation. We have to collect all the items for due diligence, start a data room, offer this one buyer who in all likelihood will never close on the sale of your business. We don't want to do that without backup buyers. You never put all of your eggs in one buyer's basket. Plus, how can we maximize value if we have one buyer? There's no bidding war. We can't create competition. There's no bidding war. So there's five types of buyers. 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. They buy small businesses like coffee shops, restaurants, ice cream stores. They don't buy $20 million companies. Second type of buyers, turnaround specialists. They buy distressed assets. Third type of buyers, pegs, private equity groups. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. A platform is, let's say, they want to get into the financial service business. They won't even consider a financial service business for a platform unless they have at least $3 million in EBITDA and up. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. But let's say they're already in financial services. Then they'll consider small add-ons to their existing platform for under a million in EBITDA. Then you have strategic competitors. Strategic competitors typically pay the highest multiple because they're buying synergies. They're buying synergies that will help catapult their current business to the next level. Contracts, patents, databases, trademarks. And they also look at economies of scale. So when they evaluate businesses, they look at what they can cut in operating cost in which to decrease overhead and increase EBITDA. They also look at what they can cut, like I said, in infrastructure. We're selling a manufacturing business, has one distribution center. Cost about $5 million to operate that. We have a manufacturing buyer that has distribution throughout the United States. The first thing they're going to cut is that $5 million distribution center, which decreases overhead and increases EBITDA. The last type of buyer is a sophisticated entrepreneur. I call them storm chasers because they chase cash. They chase EBITDA. They're industry agnostic. So when you look at your GPS exit model, you say, okay, well, these are the three buyers that will probably be most interested in my company. And you reverse engineer your plan. If you want to sell for 20 million, where's your gross revenue need to land? Your COGS, your operating profits, where does your EBITDA need to be? If you want to sell for $20 million, you need to have an EBITDA between four to $5 million, depending upon your synergies, your proprietary assets. And then you need to look at these buyers and ask yourself, or really align with an m and expert, because we know, what are these buyers looking for? What will make them pay more money for your particular company? What synergies are they willing to pay top dollar for? And you build your business to meet their specific criteria. It's kind of like when somebody starts a business, Frank. Here's my widget. Here's my target market. They build everything to meet that target market specific criteria. Your business is your widget. <laughs> your business is your widget. It's not your baby. It's your widget. This is your target market of buyers that will be willing to pay you Top dollar for your business. You need to build your business to meet their specific criteria. Does that make sense? 100%. I'm writing all this stuff down. I'm already running out of notepad. <laughs> and then the last step is why? Why do you want to sell for $20 million? If it was easy to sell a $20 million company, everybody would be doing it. So why is it going to be powerful enough to keep you in the game? Because business is not always easy. So everyone should follow this GPS exit model. If not for yourself, at least for your family. Don't be like this lady who called me from Texas that has all this debt and nothing to sell. She's going to have to file bankruptcy. So we want to set our loved ones up for success. What do you say when someone says, well, but if the company's spinning off a fair amount of cash flow and you're getting some multiple of future cash flow, so like in financial services, it's not necessarily EBITDA because there's not really a ton of depreciation in assets. It's really EBOC, earnings before owner's comp. 
which is really the number we go by. What do you say, though? What's your thought on saying, well, why sell if cash flow a million dollars a year and someone's going to give you six million dollars or seven million dollars after eight years? You would have been ahead of the game anyway if you just held on to the business, grew it, managed it, and you're still ripping that cash flow. Why sell? First of all, you don't know what's going to happen in the next six to eight years. Nothing is forever. And nothing is really secure. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody thought that the whole world was shut down from this pandemic. You never really know what's going to happen in the next six to eight years. You also have to look at each individual owner. How old is that owner? How long do they want to work? What is their desired outcome? What do they really want to do? What are they trying to achieve, et cetera, to make that determination if they should sell or if they shouldn't sell. A lot of business owners hold on to the business for way too long when they should be selling businesses in their prime. I always say sell in your prime. Don't sell during a catastrophic event. Every business has a life cycle. A business follows a life cycle just like a human does. If you look at Toys R Us, Toys R Us was in their prime. I call this the adult phase. In their prime in 2015, they did $11.5 billion in revenue. They should have sold. After adult comes senior citizen. One year later, after doing $11.5 billion in revenue, they filed bankruptcy in 2016. After senior citizen comes death. And two years after doing $11.5 billion in revenue, they closed down 1,500 locations in 35 different countries and went completely out of business. Sell when you're in your prime. Nothing lasts forever. Does that make sense? Yeah, do it the right way. And business has changed dramatically. When I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013 and did the research, I learned that 90% of all startups would go out of business. We all know that. But then when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and did the exact same research, I was flabbergasted. Even my co-author, Sharon Lecter, was like, that can't be true. The business landscape has flip-flopped. Now only 30% of startups will go out of business. Startups are no longer at risk. Existing businesses are at risk. There's 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. Small business is the backbone of our economy. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. 70%. And you hear about the big public companies in the media all the time. Toys R Us in business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1, GNC is closing down 900 locations. Godiva is closing down 1,500. Disney stores going out of business. But the media doesn't talk about the private businesses. Now they talk about public companies. These business owners are exiting poor, selling for pennies on the dollar, filing bankruptcy. The number one reason for that is because of lack of AIM. AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. Love they that. stop innovating and they stop marketing. And that's why they're going out of business. There's a lot of financial service businesses that go out of business. There's financial service businesses that have figured things out differently. I just talked to a company the other day because we're selling a $70 million business and my clients are nervous about capital gains and everybody's nervous with the new administration, et cetera. Well, here's a company that's got all these different products and services and Kind of the best kept secret that's been around for 28 years, but nobody else is doing it. So they're really innovative. So if you're going to stay in your business and not sell it, then you better be innovative because you're either growing or dying. And you know what? Here's the deal, Frank. Let's say the financial service practice builds up their business to sell. So it's sustainable, scalable. It can run without them. Now they got a sellable asset. 
even if they decide not to sell, they have a much more profitable company. And if, heaven forbid, something happens to them, they've set their family up for success because they have a sellable asset. It makes so much more sense to build your business as if you're going to sell it one day. It's like your house. When you know you're going to put it on the market, what do you do? You clean everything up. <laughs> clean everything up. You declutter Time to clean everything. clean up the closets. You bring the stager in and you get everything cleaned out. Your house looks the best it's ever looked. Well, you need to build your business that way because it will be more profitable if you're building it with the end in mind. That's great advice. That really is great advice. It's like if someone were to come by your business today, what would it look like to get you the maximum value? And I think that there are people are surprised when, at least especially with when the financial services, someone will say to me, I run all the money. Okay. So if you were to sell your company, the buyer's going to say, when you get hit by a bus, who's going to run all that money? Because if you're not there, the clients are going to go, and your value is going to get substantially discounted. Well, that's the biggest issue with financial service businesses. I have a friend of mine who I'm not going to say too much because she listens to all my podcasts. I don't want to give her away, but she is buying into a financial service business. But it's completely dependent upon the owner. So she's out there getting her new book of business, pounding in the pavement, calling telemarketing, all that stuff to build her own book of business. But he has to stay around for a few years. That's how most financial service businesses are. And what happens if you get hit by a bus? What happens if you drop dead from a heart attack? That's the mistake that you're talking about really is about thinking about the future, thinking about the destination. because. If you just think about what it is today, it's almost like it's too late to start over to recalibrate and plan. Again, one of the biggest messages is about, it's funny, one of the questions I ask our clients when they decide they want to move firms, I say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Think about what you want to be when you grow up. Do you want to be just a sole practitioner or do you want to build an enterprise of multiple, like your friend, having multiple people working for you all across the country, multiple offices? What does that look like? Because you need to start thinking about that now. Because you have to decide, are you going to build a business or you've been in a job? Are you been in a business where you get paid for, whether you're there running the money or whether you're working in a business or not? Are you building a glorified job or are you building a business that works for you? And it's kind of funny too, because I say that too. So there's a chapter in my book called Timing, When Should You Sell? And one of the biggest things that we do with our clients is take them through different processes. One of them is the seller sanity check. And the other one is what I call the beginning strategy. What are they going to do after they sell? Because if we haven't planned what they're going to do next, they will sabotage the deal every time. (laughs) (laughs) Over and over and over again. And I always ask them too, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they might be 50 or 60 years old. We had a manufacturing plant we sold, husband and wife. We almost didn't sell it. I bought three LOIs. They met the price and term conditions of our engagement agreement. They net picked each LOI, found a reason not to sign each one. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm taking this business off the market. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I go, you guys are sabotaging everything. I'm never going to bring you a deal that you're going to accept because you haven't figured out what you're going to do next. And they said, well, what do you mean? This is what we've always done. And I said, exactly. <laughs> so when I sell your company, what are you doing next? It's kind of like the empty nester syndrome. When the kids leave the house, a lot of times their parents get divorced. <laughs> you don't know what to do. All of a sudden you have this quiet noise. You're like, so now what are we supposed to do? Exactly. So talk to each other. Oh, no. 
<laughs> so I said, I'm going to take the business off the market. You need to think about what you want to do. They were high school sweethearts. They've been married forever. And I said, think about what you like to do when you're in high school. What were you passionate about? What did you love? Because so many business owners have buried their passions, the things that they love to do. They buried them because they're so busy with the day-to-day operations of their company. They're busy with tending to their family. They forget what they once loved to do. And their business is not always their passion. So they came back to me a month and a half later and they go, okay, we got it. We figured it out. And I go, what is it? And they go, we've always been passionate about bed and breakfasts. We used to travel with our families to different bed and breakfasts all over the country. That's what we want to do. We want to buy or start a bed and breakfast. The very next offer I bought them, they accepted and closed on it. So that's what I always ask too. What do you want to do when you grow up? Love it. You talk about another mistake that you talk about, and I literally had this conversation today with an advisor. So that's why I'm interested to hear your point of view on it. And that is 1099, growing a business with 1099 consultants versus W-2 employees. What is your thought on that? And why do you think that's a big mistake? What kind of business is it? Is it financial service business? So yeah, these are financial service businesses. You got to be really careful. We had a manufacturing plant we're selling and financial service businesses, at least are not working in the warehouse or manufacturing right. plants. We had a pretty large company we were selling and they have 1099s in the warehouse and on the manufacturing floor. Are you freaking kidding me? And I said to the owner, I said, oh my God, you have no workers comp. What happens if somebody loses an arm? What happens if somebody gets hurt? You're going to be out of business. Not to mention this completely changes the evaluation because I got to take all your 1099s and configure them into W-2s, which is going to decrease EBITDA, but we have to get that done because if we bring a buyer in here and they blow the whistle on you and the IRS comes in here and audits you, you're in big trouble. You're paying a lot of fines. Yeah, that was my thing with him was, look, the issue is, yeah, you'll save some money on employment tax and that person will, if they get a good accountant, will lower their tax burden. But if they don't meet the criteria of a 1099, you get audited. Not only are you going to get fined for that year, but the IRS is going to go back and they're going to fine you for every year that you were paying those people as 1099s. That actually happened to a friend of mine and he had a really large franchise. He was a franchisor. Happened to him. Yeah. And he got hit with a lot of money. So you really do have to follow those rules. you got to make sure that it's a 1099, not a W-2. And if you are going to start out that way, don't keep it for very long. <laughs> and certainly don't do it in manufacturing, warehousing, distribution, exactly. or anything like that. Yeah, forklift operators and chainsaws and landscapers. Well, that's what he and- had. He had forklift operators. He had people working machinery and he had all 1099s. And he's like, well, Shell, I can't afford to spend that money. And I'm like, you can't afford not to. You're yeah, lucky. It's, it's incidental. You'll end up not worrying about it. So it does change the evaluation, though, just to let you well, know. Of that. course. So when a buyer comes in and they look at it and they say what you and I are saying, they say, no, 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 these are supposed to be W-2s. Then we're going to decrease the valuation because the EBITDA decreases. Last question. And this is sort of a flip on my question before about not selling. Why would you want to sell if you have a business that's flourishing and it's running in all cylinders and I subscribe to a model, the entrepreneurial operating system called Traction. You're living that life. You live in the EOS life and everything's great. Some people opt to say, I'm not going to sell, but I'm going to take on an equity partner. So like in number three of the types of buyers, you buy it, take on an equity partner or just a not only a private equity partner, maybe a 
someone that you know, a friend, you're going to sell 10 or 20, 30% of your business. I guess, what's the biggest risk that you see there the, or the biggest pitfall that a seller, so the owner, should avoid? So I've been doing this for over 20 years. Buyers are not going to buy less than 50%. I mean, if you're raising capital, that's something different. If you're trying to raise venture capital, then they'll come in for a percentage. But as far as buying a company, they typically want 50% or more. And especially if the business is dependent upon the owner. If the business is dependent upon the owner, then they're not going to buy 100%. They'll buy like 70%, 80%. But I never see them give offers for less than typically 60%. What is the biggest pitfall with the seller? The biggest pitfall with the seller is, number one, you want to make sure, keep your salary, keep your benefits. Because just because you have an equity position doesn't mean you're getting paid anytime soon. <laughs> so you want to make sure you keep that. You would like to negotiate a buyout, some type of buyout clause in the beginning and agree on what that looks like, what the evaluation is going to look like like that, and make sure you negotiate all of that up front. And then also, you want to kind of get to know this person a little bit to make sure that y'all can work together because most sellers are not used to taking orders from someone else. Most entrepreneurs don't like taking orders from somebody else like me. That's why we got into the business for ourselves. Yeah. So <laughs> trying to partner them with somebody that might have different philosophies, different values, et cetera, could be a big pill for a business owner to swallow. So they don't always work out. That's why you want to make sure you have a time frame. You want to make sure you have a buyout clause. You want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row before signing off on that. And then you also want to look at your cultures. Does your culture mesh with their culture? Is it going to be a big problem with the employees, et cetera. But I think the biggest thing is, can you work with this person and are you protected? Because remember, you're not going to be calling the shops anymore. Yeah, that would be my biggest fear. Exactly. I guess you also have to make sure they have the same vision for the company. You got to make sure they have the same vision. And a lot of times their vision could be bigger, which is good. But when we do these type of arrangements, we always really get to know our sellers to find out, again, what is their seller sanity check? What are they trying to accomplish? What's the most important things to them? And then a lot of our sellers, it's not always price that's the most important a lot of times it's growing their legacy, taking care of their clients, taking care of their employees. Their employees are like their family. So we really do a lot of soul searching with the sellers to make sure that their needs are met. But a lot of them want to grow their legacy. They feel like they've grown it as far as they possibly can. And I just don't have the core competencies to get them to the next level. So that's where one of these percentage sales works very well. Okay. This was phenomenal. I mean, we could go on for hours talking about this stuff. So I definitely appreciate your time. Maybe you can just let my audience know, number one, where do they get your book? Where can I get a copy of your book? Because I definitely filled up a page of notes <laughs> with everything that you are giving out here. Lots of good nuggets, as we call it in my house. So where can my listeners go to get your book and also to learn more about your services? Sure. So that's funny because each chapter is called Golden Nugget. <laughs> and you know what? We only talked about two chapters, really. So we didn't even get into the infrastructure of the six Ps. We didn't really get into evaluations and packaging and all that other stuff. We'll do another one just on the six Ps. Absolutely. I'd love to come back on. So just to give you some insight about Exit Rich, Steve Forbes endorsed Exit Rich saying it's a goldmine for entrepreneurs as they leave way too much money on the table when they sell their business. Sharon Lecter is my co-author. Have you heard of Sharon Lecter? Mm -hmm. I have never met a podcast host that has told me no. <laughs> Everybody knows Sharon Lecter, but she wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a CPA, financial literacy expert, advisor to different presidents. She writes the mentor's corner after each chapter. 
And as a bonus, her husband is an IP attorney. So he has also adds some content under the proprietary section. And Kevin Harrington, the original Shark on Shark Tank, worked the forward. So what can you get Exit Rich? You can buy it on Amazon or you can go to ExitRichBook.com where all the bonuses are. So ExitRichBook.com for $24.79 plus shipping. We will email your digital download immediately. We'll ship our hardcover to your doorstep with shipping costs. There is shipping costs, so. And then we'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where there's video content and we're doing different trainings on techniques and strategies I've been teaching over the last 20 years, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. So we have sample employee handbooks, operational policy and procedure manuals. We have sample letter of intent, purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, and closing documents. All these documents are there for your review and download. And by the way, these documents will cost you thousands upon thousands. thousands of oh, yeah. Dollars. I'm adding it up yeah. in my head as you're talking about it. For a closing on $10 million business costs, well, gosh, even on a smaller business. I mean, we're closing one for $1.2 million right now, and the attorneys are quoting around 50, 60 grand for the closing. So anyway, all those documents are there. And then a 30-day free membership in the club CEOs, which is a mastermind, an entrepreneurship mastermind would do Q&As and hot seats and help business owners build that sustainable, scalable, so they do have a sellable asset. And all of that's at exitrichbook.com for $24.79 plus shipping. And silertucker.com is my main website. silertucker.com, great. And then they can follow me on social media. I did that. I got you on LinkedIn. I'll check out if you have an Instagram page, I'll be checking that out. And I'll definitely be going to exitrichbook.com, getting all that stuff. That was great. That was a lot. I think we covered a lot of stuff in a quick period of time. And like you said, there's so much more. We were talking about this ahead of time. And we're like, well, let's cover the mistakes that business owners make. And then we want to talk about the six Ps. Now, we need like probably two hours to do that, at least. We'll have you come back on again. This was really, really good. I learned a lot which is awesome. I'm always Thank open you. to learning stuff because you don't know what you don't know. So that's what gets you in trouble. What you don't know. <laughs> that's what gets you in trouble. Exactly. Well, Michelle, I really appreciate you coming on. I know I had to push it back a little bit, but thank you very much. This was great content. Thank you personally for distilling some of this information to me. And I look forward to having you on again. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Frank. Thank you Thanks. so much. I had a lot of fun. I love to come back on. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.